This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. Welcome to AM. I'm Sabra Lane coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. As the anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine approaches, the US president's made a surprise visit to the Ukrainian capital, Kyiv. Joe Biden's pledged millions more in military aid for the country, while other EU leaders meet to discuss Ukraine's ammunition shortage. The visit comes a day before Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, is due to deliver a major speech. Europe correspondent Isabella Higgins reports from Dnipro in central Ukraine. Ukraine's air alarms have become a part of everyday life. They don't stop even for the US president. The sirens blare loudly as Joe Biden and his Ukrainian counterpart Volodymyr Zelensky pay their respects to fallen soldiers underneath the golden domes of St. Michael's Cathedral. The top secret trip comes just days before the anniversary of the full-scale invasion. President Zelensky says the visit is monumental. Today we host President Biden. That is so important signal for us. I thought it was critical that there would not be any doubt about U.S. support for Ukraine. The White House says they notified Moscow of the president's trip hours before he left the U.S. It comes just a day before Russian President Vladimir Putin is expected to make a major parliamentary speech, expected to outline his 2023 military ambitions in Ukraine. Joe Biden says the U.S. is committed to supporting Ukraine for as long as it takes. That dark night, one year ago, the world was literally at the time bracing for the fall of Kyiv perhaps even the end of Ukraine. You know, one year later, Kyiv stands and Ukraine stands. Democracy stands. Security analysts believe the war in Ukraine is about to enter a deadly new phase as Russia pushes hundreds of thousands of freshly mobilised troops and mercenaries to the front line in the eastern Donbass region. President Biden is pledging more than $700 million of fresh military aid for weapons supply. Freedom is priceless. It's worth fighting for for as long as it takes. And that's how long we're going to be with you, Mr. President. The US president is now heading for a multi-day trip to Poland, where he plans to hold talks with the eastern flank NATO leaders. Meanwhile, the European Union's foreign ministers have been meeting in Brussels to discuss how to make sure Ukrainian forces have enough ammunition for the fight ahead. Here's the EU's policy chief, Joseph Borrell. The most important pressing issue today for the Ukrainian army is to have a continuous flow of ammunition of 155 caliber. The Russian artillery shots about 50,000 shots a day, and Ukraine needs to be at the same level of capacity. If we fail on that, really the result of the war is in danger. This is Isabella Higgins in Dnipro reporting for AM. The Home Affairs Minister is renewing her warning to foreign governments that attempts to interfere with Australia's democracy won't be tolerated. Claire O'Neill's comments come as the nation's foreign influence laws come under scrutiny in Canberra today, with concerns they're too vague and are leaving efforts to influence the nation's politicians and institutions unchecked. The scheme was originally designed to be country agnostic in that no foreign nations were specifically mentioned under the regime. But that could be reconsidered given the changing nature of threats facing Australia. Here's political reporter Matthew Doran. Five years and two Prime Ministers ago, the message was clear. 
And we should not be naive about this. In late 2017, then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull unveiled the Foreign Influence Transparency Scheme, a register to try to document agents of influence working across Australia. In 2023, its value is arguably even more apparent, according to the Chair of Federal Parliament's Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security, Labor MP Peter Khalil. We're in, in a very volatile geostrategic environment. Malcolm Turnbull is now one of the scheme's critics after joining fellow former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd on the register. Peter Khalil argues their experiences, which seem fairly benign, pose an interesting question for his committee. Those examples, whether it's uh, Malcolm Turnbull, who's made some speeches, whether it's Kevin Rudd, who's done some television interviews, why is that activity, given that it's in the public domain, obviously interview on the BBC is in the public domain, does that have to be captured in that sense? Former Prime Minister Tony Abbott is also registered for his work advising the UK government on trade. There are 112 individuals and entities currently on the register the bulk of their activities relating to what the legislation describes as foreign government-related entities, which is an entity totally or substantially controlled by a foreign government. China, the United States and Japan, the countries most commonly behind their endeavours. I'm just not sure that this piece of legislation in and of itself is actually delivering what the government intended. Vicky Thompson is the chief executive of the Group of Eight Universities, citing Chinese investment in Australia's higher education sector as a prime example. Confucius Institutes must have been the most scrutinised agreements in universities over the last few years, and yet none have yet received a, term, a determination or ruling under either the FITS Act or the Foreign Arrangement Scheme. We now have a pressing need to improve and to recalibrate. Catherine Manstead is a senior fellow at ANU's National Security College. She believes there needs to be a greater emphasis on where foreign influence is coming from. We need to make sure that the provisions, specific legislative provisions, are capturing influence that comes from authoritarian countries because sometimes it looks different to influence that comes from democratic countries. Sometimes it's more hidden. Sometimes it is uh, more complex. Sometimes it is more informal. But she doesn't favour creating a specific list of countries of concern, such as China, Russia, or, as the Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill detailed last week, Iran. And ultimately, the foreign influence register is not a, it's not a naming and shaming list. It's actually a transparency tool. The nation's domestic spy agency, ASIO, as well as the Department of Home Affairs and the Attorney General's Department, which manages the scheme, will also give evidence today. Matthew Doran reporting there. A week since Cyclone Gabriel lashed New Zealand's North Island, the Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, has announced a more than $45 million support package for affected businesses and farmers. A state of emergency has also been extended for another seven days with almost 2,000 people still not able to be contacted in towns isolated by the storm. Rachel Hayter reports. The scale of the clean-up and recovery effort ahead is enormous. And to help get it going, New Zealand's Prime Minister Chris Hipkins has announced an interim support package for farmers and businesses. But the details are still unclear. The Ministry for Primary Industries will release later on today the details of how people can access that funding in the primary sector. So that'll include orchardists, it'll include farmers and so on. The um, information for businesses, we'll be working through the local business associations to get that funding out to businesses. So more details on that should be available from those business associations within the next few days. He's told New Zealand radio station News Talk ZB more money is likely on the way. 
these are um, sort of emergency payments for right here and now. I'm not ruling out, and we, we certainly haven't ruled out, that there'll be a, any additional you know, financial support available. It is likely that we're going to need to support businesses including our primary sector, to get back on their feet again. One of the worst hit areas is Gisborne, and the president of the local Chamber of Commerce, Belinda Mackay, is welcoming the interim support package. Businesses were saying they needed assistance in terms of wage assistance, you know, to pay immediate staff salaries. Um, So I think that this will be... It'll be great for business, actually. It'll just really get them to be able to carry on for the next wee while, while we rebuild, essentially. But she's told Radio New Zealand more help will be needed. We're also going to need some timings around, and I know it's super hard, but in terms of roading infrastructure, we have so much produce going out of this region. Um, so it's going to be kind of around that, and we need to have some resilience built into our um, our fibre networks. Um, Yes, that's kind of like the key things that we're really going to be looking for is investment in our infrastructure. Will Foley is a councillor in Hawke's Bay. He says the storm has destroyed huge orchards. Some of the apple trees have literally been ripped out of the ground by the force of the floodwaters and just gone. And so where there used to be an orchard standing is now just like a bare paddock um, covered in silt. And businesses will need financial support for months to come. Large vehicles and caravans and things that have just been picked up and left on top of buildings and on top of trees. You know, it's like bombs have gone off. It's just incredible the um, the destruction and devastation that that those floodwaters have caused. The New Zealand government is also offering $250 million to local councils to help assess damage to transport infrastructure and start fixing some of the roads. Rachel Hayter reporting. Social media experts are criticising a move by Facebook and Instagram to use Australia and New Zealand as a testing ground for a new subscription service. From this week, you'll have to pay a monthly fee if you want your account verified, as Oliver Gordon explains. Facebook and Instagram owner Meta says its blue tick verification will improve security and give extra protection against impersonation. But experts think it's a cash grab. To me, it feels a bit like a fire sale. Dr Belinda Barnett is a senior lecturer in media and communications at Swinburne University. It feels like the company is um, in a bit of financial trouble and uh, that they're trying to make some money from basic account functionality. She thinks some accounts, particularly large brands, celebrities or politicians, will now be left with little choice but to pay to be verified. It's quite... I guess a a smart move by Meta, although uh, quite a mean one, because there are quite a few accounts on Facebook and Instagram that will need to pay for verification if they want to have a presence. Meta says the verification service will be rolled out in Australia and New Zealand first, costing $12 a month on the web and $15 for iPhone users. Queensland University of Technology Professor of Digital Communications Daniel Angus thinks the company is chasing revenue. So it's extortionate in a way because what's happening here is they're asking people who are already verified um, or those who want to now gain verification to ensure that the people who follow them know that it's really them. They're essentially saying you must pay. 
Uh, the only way for users to know that you are you is to pay us money. There is no other mechanism to do that, to have that sense of authenticity. And I believe that that is extortionate, that the idea of knowing that the other person on the other end of the social media account is who they say they are um, should be a, a just an ordinary primary function of a social media service and shouldn't be something that one would have to pay for. And Professor Angus is suspicious our region is being used as a test. We are a marketplace that it seems like Meta is keen to test out these these particular um, products. But that in itself is a, is a bit distasteful, the idea that, um, you know, we are in a Petri dish in a way and they're willing to just kind of, you know, twiddle the levers and just see what happens and experiment on us as a live population. Twitter recently launched a similar verification push. It's going further, though, vowing to start removing security features for anyone who doesn't pay. Professor of Internet Studies at Curtin University, Tama Lever, is noticing a pattern. There are direct similarities here. Twitter withdrawing two-factor authentication, which was something every user had access to, is absolutely horrific because what it's doing is removing basic security functionality from every Twitter user and saying that if you don't pay us more for Twitter, then we're not going to provide what is essentially a really low-level basic security feature. They are making Twitter riskier, less secure, and trying to gouge users who are already paying with their personal data. So will people stay on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, even if they have to pay for features that were once free? I think, to be perfectly fair, a lot of people are a bit sick of Facebook and Twitter, so they might lose more users than they gain through this. And the Facebook and Instagram subscription move comes just months after Meta announced it was making more than 10,000 employees redundant. Oliver Gordon reporting. When you think of the El Nino and La Nina weather patterns, you might think of severe droughts, bushfires and floods, but the effects are also felt deep underwater as far away as Antarctica. An Australian-led research has found that as these weather systems become more severe, Antarctica's ice sheets will melt at a greater rate, as Annie Guest reports. Hobart's Dr Melanie Van Twist, who once served as a doctor on the Aurora Australis icebreaker, counts herself lucky to have visited Antarctica in 2012 on a trip celebrating Douglas Mawson's scientific expedition a century earlier. It's the combination of the wide open skies, the cold wind, the the grey-blue sea um, and the, the wildlife when you get close to the coast that really makes you feel like you're in an otherworldly place. But that otherworldly place is under threat from climate change. Dr Wenju Chai from the CSIRO is the lead researcher on a study published today in the journal Nature Climate Change, examining how stronger El Nino and La Nina weather patterns might affect Antarctica. The implication of this study is that um, increased El Nino amplitude as projected by climate model is not just important for, for, for our climate. Dr Chai is a world expert on El Nino southern oscillation, which causes variations in wind and sea surface temperatures. He and his team examined 31 climate models under a high emissions scenario. El Nino give us um, drought, bushfire and heat waves, but it's also important. It has important impact on Antarctic climate. And as co-author Dr Ariane Purik from Monash University explains, that impact is grim news. 
increased El Nino and La Nina variability can lead to warmer ocean temperatures at depth around the Antarctic margins, and this can melt the ice shelves at a faster than otherwise would occur rate. It's disappointing news for Dr Melanie Van Twest from the Aurora Australis Foundation. It's greatly disturbing because these great wildernesses are endangered anyway from encroachment of human activity. And then when you add to that climate science, uh, climate change and, you know, warming temperature um, and many of the things that we love most about Antarctica, such as its wildlife, are greatly endangered. She hopes such research helps spur faster action on climate change. Any guest reporting. As many parts of the country swelter through hot summer weather, Australian researchers are releasing a study into about how parents can keep prams cool for their children. And they say it might also be time to update safety guidelines too. National Education and Parenting reporter Connor Duffy explains. You want to try and copy him? Do you want to try and copy Ziggy? New mum Xanthi Hayes loves enjoying Sydney's northern beaches with her baby Tasman but says she has never shown safe ways to keep her pram cool. Honestly, nothing. Yeah, I think we, I saw other chicks walking around with the muslin cloth over the front of the pram and thought, well, that's probably what you're meant to do. Xanthi got a scare when the cloth she thought would shade her now 11-month-old daughter instead stifled the airflow and caused her to overheat. And it was this sort of weather, boiling hot, and um, she just started screaming blue murder in the bassinet. And then I looked inside the bassinet and she was dripping with sweat and she was red like a beetroot and she'd obviously really badly overheated. Guidelines from the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission warn parents not to cover prams. And now a study from the University of Sydney published in the journal Ergonomics has produced research to back that. Researcher Dr James Smallcombe says a dry cloth cover on a pram increases the temperature inside by almost four degrees. This, this uh, topic is certainly under-researched, but it's also extremely important. I think five degrees can make a really substantial difference, both to the thermal comfort and um, th- th- reducing their risk of overheating during hot weather. Professor Ollie Jay also worked on the study. He says the good news for parents is the research shows that using a moist cloth with a clip-on fan would cool the pram by almost five degrees. It will undoubtedly improve the thermal comfort of the infant. And what we think that would then do is potentially then translate to um, decreased irritability, uh, decreased overall heat stress. Professor Jay cautions parents to still check the baby regularly and be wary of the moisture evaporating. But he hopes authorities will update the guidelines to include this research. So uh, we'd be really um, excited to have our work included in updated policy. And I think what we're offering is not just telling people what they shouldn't be doing, it's what they can actively do to reduce how hot a pram gets in the summer. Back on the northern beaches, Xanthi Hayes is keen to try a new way of keeping her and Tasman cool on their beach adventure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a really easy thing to do and really cheap to do as well. So I don't see why you wouldn't do it. And four degrees is masses when you know when you think of what it takes to overheat a baby. I certainly wasn't told anything and had to find out the hard way. Sydney mum Xanthi Hayes ending that report from Connor Duffy. That's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.